When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to the Rocky Top Rewind. I am Eric Kane alongside Brent Hubbs. Every Sunday night, Tennessee football season, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. We're going back and looking at what happened the day before for Tennessee football. Of course, Tennessee's coming off a 41 to 20 win over South Carolina. We're going to break down every single angle of that football game over the next hour. Big shout out to our proud sponsors. And that's Spivey King and Spivey LLP. Couldn't do it without our friends Matthew A. Spivey, J. Matt King, Richard A. Spivey. If you've got a problem, let them find a solution for you. That's TN Trial Lawyers. Give them a call today for a free consultation. That's 423-245-4185. Spivey King and Spivey LLP uh, com as well. There's that phone number one time if you have a need for it. And uh, Brent Hubs will take questions throughout the next hour, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun with it. But overall, Tennessee football, a 41-20 to win, just what the doctor ordered in front of a ruckus crowd at Neyland Stadium, now 1-1 in SEC play. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee did what they needed to do, and um, they, they won the line of scrimmage. That was the challenge from Josh Heupel uh, all week long, was be more physical and win in the, in the front, and Tennessee's offensive line won. Um, welcome back, Cooper Mays, Tennessee's defensive line, uh, was clearly terrific uh, in, in the game. Rush lanes um, to, to – and, look, we'll talk about the offense. The offense did some really good things. I, I don't want to shortchange them at all. But uh, that defensive performance last night was, was really good. And, and I know South Carolina's, you know, not very good on the offensive line. But Spencer Rattler's run around on everybody and made some plays. And Tennessee just really took them out of everything they were trying to do offensively last night. Their contain was really good. Um, in, in terms of keeping uh, Rattler um, in, under control and in control. Uh, and then on the back end, their coverage was really good. They took they took um, Xavier Leggett out of the game, and um, it, it was just – it was really good. So um, impressed with the way the defense played. Going to be tougher challenges, but Tennessee had to get that game last night. That was a must win for Tennessee, and, and Tennessee got it done. Yeah, Tennessee got it done. You're exactly right. You don't want to start 0-2 in Southeastern Conference play, especially, I mean, you don't want to start 0-2, but you don't have a game next week, and so it'd be a long two weeks before a pretty good team in Texas A&M will be coming to Neyland Stadium. So uh, getting that win, getting to even in 500 play and in conference play and improving to 4-1 on the year, that's big. Now you can get healthy. Um, we'll talk about Brew McCoy and that injury here in just a moment, but you know, Tennessee is a bit banged up right now. Um, a chance to rest, recover, kind of recharge a little bit, and then hit that second win because it'll come fast and furious. You got Texas A&M, then you're on the road, you're at Alabama, you're at Kentucky, and then, of course, Georgia's still later on the season. Got to go to Missouri. Um, it's going to be coming pretty fast. But I, I, it's a little early, of course, but I think this is the perfect time for uh, an off week, Brent, because Tennessee's a little bit banged up right now, missing a couple starters the other night, but able to, to power through. Yeah, I mean, they've got to get healthy in some spots. They've got to get their depth back, certainly on the defensive line or on the offensive line. Uh, getting Aaron Beasley healthy, I don't think he's 100%, although he played a bunch last night. Get, getting him uh, back closer to 100% is good. And then the other thing, too, is 
it gives you a week to kind of figure out what tweaks you're going to make to your offense without having Brew McCoy uh, in the lineup for this offense. And, and what does that look like uh, without McCoy? He did a lot of little things for Tennessee, really good blocker. He's the reason a lot of that sideways passing stuff was so effective to Squirrel White. So you're going to have to make some tweaks. I don't think it's just a simple plug and play, um, you know, with, with with Caleb Webb. Caleb Webb's going to play a bunch of snaps. Do you look at Thornton outside? You know, th there's some different things that I think you look at this week if you're Tennessee because you're not into game week prep right now. You're, you're into figuring out some stuff you can do differently, tweak some stuff. Uh, and address that particular side or that particular angle with this offense is kind of life without Brew McCoy. Yeah, let's talk about Brew McCoy real quick. You know, Stingray says, do they know the the true diagno diagnosis just yet? And it was Tennessee earlier here on a Sunday afternoon. They kind of sent out a a tweet and said, hey, you know, this is what's going on. Um, trying to get this up here. There we go. It's uh, Brew McCoy underwent successful surgery this morning. This is what Tennessee announced via social media after suffering a fractured dislocation of his right ankle on Saturday night. Brew and his family appreciate all your prayers and support since last night and in the days ahead. So essentially, Brent, I mean, you hate to see anybody get hurt. Um, we talked about it a little bit on the postgame podcast last night. Just a good kid. Um, really nice kid coming from a good family. He is a pro. He works so hard. And that's him off the field. On the field, he's a good receiver. You said last night he's probably Tennessee's best all-around receiver. I noted his blocking down the field. Um, Tennessee's going to miss him in a big way. And you mentioned some of these young receivers, but not only from a, uh, a talent perspective, from a leadership perspective, it's going to be a big loss uh, for Brew McCoy not being able to go the rest of the way. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people you know, are asking tonight, okay, we know what it is. You know he had surgery. Like, what does that mean in terms not, – not that he's going to play this year. Nobody has that thought. But what does it mean long term? Uh, Brew McCoy does have a COVID year uh, available to him if that's something he wants to explore and look at. Um, does, does he want to, can he get ready for the combine? Does he want to not risk further injury and just take a shot at the NFL? Would the NFL take a shot at him? I think all of that conversation is way too premature right now. Uh, I mean, Bruce still in the hospital, probably going to be there a day or so. This is not a this was not an outpatient surgery last night, cast it up and, and send you back to the house type deal. Um, the rehab is going to be long. It's going to be difficult on this one. And, and I think the first and foremost thing right now is just get get to the point where you can start thinking about rehab. And you're going to be a ways away from doing that. This is a, a long, challenging, difficult road for Bruce McCoy, that his family asking for prayers. I have parents will stay here, you know, for a while with Brew and um you know, he, he's got a tough road ahead of him, but but he's a tough kid uh, who's ready to go to work, but he's going to have to – it's going to take some time to get back to that point. So in terms of what his future looks like about the spring and the draft and could he use the COVID year, that is the last thing on anyone's plate in, in the McCoy camp right now uh, because, I mean, at this point it's about making sure you're – you know, you don't have any kind of infections and you don't have any kind of issues like that and – you know, you get to you get home, you get pain management going on, and, and you start the healing process to the point where you can think about, you know, some type of rehab down the road. But that's still down the road. Yeah, I, I obviously wasn't listening to you guys on the broadcast because we were over there in the the media, you know, watching the game. But I remember sitting there, and you know, when the injury happened, it was brutal, it was awful. You know, thoughts and continued prayers. You, you never want to see that for anybody. But I remember when play resumed, and I was sitting there, and I'm like, okay, you know, Tennessee. And it's expected. Your brother, your teammate, you just saw a gruesome injury, and you're hurting. Um, 
and that drive didn't go well. I think Milton got sacked. Milton airmailed a throw, you know, to, to Jay Wright on third down. Tennessee's defense came out there. It looked like defense, offense, just kind of in a funk, and, and that's expected. But then everything that turned the tide, it was it was that pick six. What what Shane Beamer was doing on third and twenty three, I'm not sure throwing the football, but it was James Pierce forcing that errant throat sailed. Kamal Haddon was given tons of cushion because, again, it was third and 22, right to him. 28-yard interception return for a touchdown. Instead of going into the halftime break trailing 17-10, to 10, South Carolina now trailed 24-10. to 10. It was a turning point in the game, and that, that sequence kind of got Tennessee to snap out of it a little bit and say, okay, that's awful, but we still have a football game to move forward, and you got to go play football. Yeah, it got you to the locker room with a more comfortable lead, and you got into the locker room, and you got a chance to catch your breath. And, and kind of let your emotions go if that's what you needed to do in the locker room. Um, whatever you had to do as an individual to get yourself back in a place to play, you, you had a chance to do that. And it was much needed at that point to get that going. Um, you know, injuries are difficult for anybody to watch, fans, media, whatever. For players, there, there's such an air of invincibility with those guys when they step on the field. And it's it's a crashing, just a crashing halt to them when you see a player suffer a significant injury. And, you know, it's a reminder. I mean, Joe Milton was, I thought, was really candid and really raw in the postgame. Where he just yeah. admitted, I don't want to go back out there. Mm -hmm. But because it, it's that reality of what could happen and, and an injury that could happen. And... Um, that's hard, you know. I mean, that, that's one of those deals where it never crosses your mind until it happens to somebody, and then it's a smack in the face of, hey, this could happen on any given play to anybody out here. It, it's hard to get that that armor back up and kind of that mental block back up that, hey, go play as fast as you can and run into somebody as fast as you can and, you know, go go get as many yards as you can and try to fight through a tackle and all those types of things. Um, I think it's hard, and so you're yeah. right. That the the pick six was huge. Um, to go in the locker room and catch your breath was huge. What Shane Beamer was doing there, I have I have no idea. His explanation afterwards um, was kind of a head scratcher too. It didn't make a whole lot of sense. So Tennessee gets the pick six, goes up twenty four to ten into the halftime break. Tennessee scores on the opening possession of the second half. It would have been much better if you didn't allow South Carolina to score on its first play of the ensuing possession. But Tennessee once again wins the middle eight, and it was kind of off from there. I mean, Tennessee had control of the football game, and that's kind of all she wrote. Um, highlights, and we'll talk more about, you know, whenever Austin gets on here, Caleb Webb, Chaz Nimrod, Dante Thornton, his injury status. Tennessee, pretty thin right now, wide receiver. But, yeah, yeah. The story of the night is, of course, defense. And I, I liked it in real time. I liked it on the rewatch. You can see, I mean, we always say it always ties together, but you can truly see it now as this defense, as this defensive line goes, this defense will go. You got a defensive line that's putting pressure and, and causing havoc in the backfield. It allows your secondary to loosen up a little bit or tighten down, play a little man coverage, go out there and, and, and just compete. And, and we saw that last night in this football game. It looked like a, a nice old operation defensively for Tim Banks. Yeah, it did. I mean, the back was married to the front, and the front was married to the back, and and the result of that was a lot of success for Tennessee. Um, I know the players talked going into the game. It wasn't personal. It wasn't about revenge. I mean, Kamal Haddon, it was personal for Kamal Haddon. 
Okay, Kamal Haddon was locked in and played well last night. Not yeah. just the pick six, but Kamal Haddon played well. He, he didn't have a bust. He didn't have a, a dumb play. He didn't do anything goofy. Um, and, and that when, when he plays like that, Eric, it allows him to be the best corner on this roster and on this team. Uh, I, I think what Gabe Judy Lolly's given him on the other side is a great is a great amount of consistency right now. He made a really nice play early in that game uh, on, on a stop that that ended a drive where he did not allow himself to get picked. He he went behind the rub, if you will, and was able to close back down and make the tackle uh, in front of the sticks. Really heads up a play that is made because the guys played a ton of football. And I think he's settling into this defense and playing well. I don't know if Wesley Walker can do what he did last night. He was good. Uh, for seven more games or not. That's the best he's played in the Tennessee uniform. It's the most aggressive he's played. It's most, the most decisive he's been in, in terms of covering the pass. Um, they, they clearly felt like, hey, the defense is going to get home all the time up front. So we can we can squeeze and, and take a chance. I mean, what's interesting is you had Kamal Haddon with the pick six. Jalen McCullough should have caught the ball in the end zone um, yeah. on that ball. He got both hands on it. I think he was more worried about where his feet were, but he really mm -hmm. had plenty of room there. That that would have stopped a drive. And, and then Tamari McDonald dropped an interception on fourth down. That, that could have been a third interception there. Um, so, you know, they were in position to make more plays because I think they played with more confidence given what the defensive line was doing up front, which is your point everything is tied together. And when it's tied together, you got a chance to be a pretty good defense. No doubt about it. Tennessee shined defensively, 41-20, to 20, the final score, Tennessee over South Carolina. More on that defense. And look at that offensive line, the play of Joe Milton, all that and more. Your questions as well coming up as we continue on with the Rocky Top Rewind. Do you want to give a shout-out to Spivey King and Spivey LLP, proud presenting sponsors of the Rocky Top Rewind. Matthew A. Spivey, J. Matt King, Richard A. Spivey, you got a problem, let them find a solution for you. That is TN Trial Lawyers. They specialize in criminal defense, family law, and personal injury. Uh, this uh, practice has been in place since 2012. The partnership, specific partnership since 2012. The practice has been in place for over 43 years. 80 combined years of experience. And they know what it takes to you know bring some modern legal demands or energize to meet those needs for you as well. They practice primarily in Northeast Tennessee, the Tri-Cities of Sullivan County, as well as Hawkins County, Washington County, and surrounding areas. Whether you're injured in a car accident, need a divorce, help with custody of your children, or have been accused of a crime, Spivey King and Spivey LOP is here to help. Got the phone number right here. We're watching on YouTube, 423-245-4185. That is a free consultation by picking up the phone, giving them a call of the day, or you can always visit them online at Spivey King and Spivey LOP. Uh, dot com. Spivey King and Spivey, LLP. Problem? Let them find a solution for you. TN Trial Lawyers. More of the Rockies Top Rewind. That is coming up next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There we go. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I am Eric Kane with my microphone turned on. He is Brent Hubbs. I appreciate you guys for uh, being here. We're going to be on the air live here on the VolQuest YouTube channel until 9 o'clock. So uh, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. 
And of course, we are going to take your questions and we'll go ahead and start um, with some of your questions right here. Uh, we'll talk Cooper Mays in a moment, but Rick wants to know about some injury situations up front, Brent, with Andre, with Jeremiah Crawford and Andre Carrick. Carrick was in street clothes. Crawford dressed out, but looked like he was only going to be available in case of an emergency yesterday. Yeah, Crawford just banged up. I think he'll be fine. Uh, the open date comes at a good time for him. I think he'll heal up a bit uh, and, and will be available with Mincy there. I wonder if they keep you know, kind of rotating those guys to keep them at their best. I think both of them are used to rotating in games. I thought Mincy was solid yesterday. You know, did a good job. There's obviously better challenges ahead, but but his athletic ability shows up. And I, I don't think J.J. Crawford's been playing very well. In some ways, it, it might have been good for him not to play and just catch his breath a little bit and, and sort of reset because I think the last couple of weeks have been tough for him. Andre Kirk's a, a really interesting, bizarre deal. He, he – it. You know, Tennessee does more than a walkthrough on Friday. Their walkthrough is really on Thursday. They have that one of those no-sweat days or whatever. They go a little harder on Friday with, you know, they don't tackle. They don't play 11-on-11 football. But there, there's some physic, a little bit of physicality. And somehow, Kirk got, got hurt in that Friday practice, got banged up in the Friday practice, from what I understand, which calls for the late shift. And Kudos to Ollie Lane for sliding over and playing guard. Now, he's played a lot of guard before, so it wasn't a, a hard transition, but he hadn't been practicing very much at guard. And I, I think going into Friday, the plan was for Carrick to start, or Carrick to start because he'd been working beside Cooper Mays as the number one guy um, all week long. But um, he was unable to go. I think he'll be fine for, for Texas A&M. It was kind of a fluky thing on Friday that's not anything long-term. I, I think he should be back and good to go. But you got to look at that situation, and you have maybe your best collection of five offensive linemen out there. That does not mean that Andre Carrick's not going to play. Right. That does not mean that J.J. Crawford's not going to play. I mean, you know, they've been rotating offensive linemen all year long. Last year, you rotated Gerald Mincy and J.J. Crawford literally every single game all year long. Uh, but you might have that best group of five in what we saw the other day. And a lot of that has to do with getting your guy back, Cooper Mays in there at center, the tempo, the operation. And the first half, again, it looked really good. And I know Tennessee had a lead in the second half. They slowed some things down a little bit. I wish they'd keep going. But, you know, once you get that first down, you're going, you're going. That tempo looked good. And Cooper Mays getting back, that is huge for not only this offensive line, but for this football team, having one of your best players back. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, hats off to Cooper. He was not in football shape, but he yeah. gutted it out and played well um, in, in the rewatch. I, I thought even though he was winded, and <laughs> maybe that's why they slowed it down a little bit to help him out, Um I thought he was good in the second half. I thought he was solid in the second half. I thought he got off to a great start uh, with a couple of early blocks with some runs up the middle. They obviously creased that one uh, on the touchdown run with a good combo block that he had with, with Ollie Lane there. But the tempo set that play up, too. If you go back and watch it, South Carolina's defensive tackle was not in a stance. He yeah. was not down yet. Tennessee's pace of play was really getting them going there. And you just felt like everybody on the whole entire offense felt more comfortable when they saw Cooper Mays go out there. You know, it was, it, it sort of felt, it just felt right. And and that's not a knock on Ollie Lane. I think Ollie Lane did the best he could do. Yeah. Uh, but he's not Cooper Mays at center. He doesn't know the nuances of that position. Um, he's got a million things in his head he's trying to, to, to do and remember. And, and you know, I, I think that's a hard transition to make in, in a matter of, you know, three or four weeks to go into the first game and, and to try to do that. So Ollie Lane might have been the happiest guy in the world last night because he got to start, play every snap, and he's playing beside his buddy Cooper Mays, and he's not the guy running the center position. 
it does feel like that's their best five that played last night. And, and I'm not saying that because they had a big game, Eric. I think when you look at the big picture of where this offensive line is, I don't think there's a big difference between Andre Carrick and Ollie Lane from, from a talent standpoint. And, and I think Ollie Lane, I think his experience in this offense gives him an upper hand. I think, I think he is a, I think he's better in this offense right now than, than, than Andre Carrick is. And so to me, that would be my five I would roll out with at, at this point. Uh, we'll see if that's what they elect to do, but I think it's their best five. And, and let's, let's remember, you know, the first, or I guess it'd be the second week of camp, you know, whenever Cooper was out, I mean, Ollie moved to center essentially because they had to get somebody to get, get a snap back there. I mean, you're, you're playing center. You got so many different things you got to worry about. The count starts with you. You're calling out protections all this type of stuff. You're playing a new position for Ollie Lane that he's never played really before. And, and you got to snap the football. There's just a lot going on. And so even though Ollie Lane hadn't practiced a guard in you know seven or eight weeks, you know, that's home for him. He's started, played a lot of snaps, played a lot of games at guard in this offense, in this league. And so I would agree with you. I think from a experience standpoint and from just a knowledge and an expectation, knowing what to expect in this offense, that would kind of give him the edge. So you know, we'll see moving forward. We'll uh, we'll go here to Sam Smith. I uh, wanted to know about D. Williams. Austin kind of mentioned this on the uh, the podcast last night. We'll have to kind of dust it off and get it ready for the press conference on Wednesday. But with the injuries at wide receiver, I mean, why not? Because I I think you in your ten things you think you learned. You know, he's getting one to two touches maybe a game. What's it going to hurt to throw him over there in the slot at least in practice and see what you got? Because you're down a couple wide receivers. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think he ever would play 25 or 30 snaps yeah. of offense, but if you played 6 to 10, I mean, could he beat Javante Payton from year one? I mean, Javante Payton caught one ball to start the game and then just Go kind deep. of disappeared after that, right? So could you could you put in something to, to help create some stuff? Could you throw him a little screen out there, run a jet sweep with him? You know, we saw that jet sweep to Squirrel White, you know, last night. Uh, could, could you have something like that in for him? to see what he can do. He's just dynamic with the ball in his hands and open space. Could you get him in open space? Now, here's the thing he would have to learn. I mean, you can't reverse field and give up 10 yards and, and try to play backyard football on every play. Sometimes you just got to tuck it down and go. But I think he's shown the ability to do that on punt returns, right? I mean, I think he's a north and south guy. How many punt returns has he had this year where he's lost yardage by trying to do something crazy? I, I don't remember any, right? Yeah. So. To me, you got an open date here. You're trying to create some things and look at some different things offensively. Why not toy with it and, and see what you could possibly get out of it? Because you are thin at receiver, okay? I mean, I think Chaz Nimrod's going to become your backup slot, and maybe you slide Dante Thornton out wide if he can get well. I know that was one of the questions earlier in the chat, so I'll, we'll answer that one. You know, he's got to get healthy first. Um, and, and we'll see, uh, you know, he's been bothered by the hamstrings since spring. Uh, it flared up again in the summer. He got, well, it's flared back up. How long is that going to shut him down? Uh, and then obviously he's got to play better than he's played to this point. Is he better outside than he is in the slot? I don't know. We're going to find out. Cause I think you have to take a look at him outside now for sure. And, and, and Nimrod could be more of your slot guy. Cause I think that's where he's more comfortable as opposed to being an outside guy. You know, it was, um, you know, coming into the season, we heard so much. We heard so much about Dante Thornton. And, and again, the guy, he's still talented. Just a couple games in the new system. I mean, we'll, we'll see what he turns into. But he's long. He's explosive. He's fast. Um, you know, everything's kind of there. But we heard so much. We talked so much about Dante Thornton. 
at least for me, I can't speak for everybody else, but it's almost like I just kind of didn't count Squirrel out. I knew he was going to play. I knew he was going to be a big part of this offense, but I didn't really think about Squirrel White. But man, Squirrel White has been huge for this offense in all five games. And yesterday, again, he caught all nine targets that were thrown his way. The one let's talk about here and that Thomas wants to talk about is the 50-yard bomb from Joe to Squirrel down the far sideline where he, he had a face mask. It was pass interference. We asked him in, in the media session after the game, like, how did you catch that? And he said, I, I don't know. I don't know how I caught that. He caught it. Tony Vitello was getting jacked up, pumped up behind him. Uh, it was a huge moment. Jabari Small pumps it into the end zone two or three plays later. Squirrel White has been huge for Tennessee, and with these injuries, he'll continue to be kind of the focal point of the offense. Yeah, and, and you know, my thing with Squirrel was, and I've said this publicly on podcasts and where else, I just wondered if he could hold up all season yeah. long. He's not very big. You know, and, and to, to get the volume of touches he's getting right now to stay healthy uh, is a credit to Squirrel White. Um, uh, by the way, how do, how the official doesn't throw the flag on that, they're just not going to call that pass interference, yeah. is absolutely insane um, on that one. I, I do think Squirrel White's leg helped him catch the ball. Uh, I think he almost kind of kicked it up to himself a little bit. Um, but it was an incredible catch, and it was at a huge moment in the football game. Tennessee's behind at that point. You kind of forget they've trailed in the football game. You know, you, you, you're just kind of like, yeah, they had control. They won the game, just kind of rode it out in the second half. They were behind and didn't have you know, didn't have a ton of momentum right there. And, and to have one of those momentum plays was huge for the crowd. It was huge for the offense. They capitalized on it. Um uh, you know, just a, an unbelievable catch. And I think what Squirrel White's doing is he's showing versatility. Now, he's a little bit hard to throw some of the balls to across the middle because he's not real tall. Yeah. You no, know? but but he he's shown the ability to get open across the middle. He's got the screen game going. He's shown a vertical game going right now. Um, he's done a really nice job and, and is quickly becoming a guy that I think Joe Milton is very, very comfortable with in this offense. South Carolina held a brief lead in this football game. It lasted all of one minute and 23 seconds. That 50-yard play or pass from Joe Milton to Squirrel White down the sideline set up that Jabari Small a touchdown run from two yards out. Tennessee scored 24 straight before South Carolina answered, and of course Tennessee eventually won 41-20. to But a big turning point, exactly. That was a defining moment. I'm sure that was uh, one of your defining moments in the day after this morning for sure. We're going to get Austin Price here in just a second on here, but let's get one more question before we uh, uh, turn our attention over there to him. Um Maybe we can ask Austin this as well. What, what's the team ceiling now, five games in? Peely, can he come back for Georgia? Potentially, we'll see. But that's always been a late season, November type situation. But I kind of wrote in my big three, you know, this team is not, I'm not saying this team is college football bound. I'm not saying this team is going to Atlanta. But, like, we know more about this team than we did, you know, last week or the week, week before. I don't think that we could have answered a lot of these questions before we saw him play against South Carolina. Because up until that point, we saw Tennessee face one team with a pulse, and it got its its tail whipped. And now Tennessee's played another team with a pulse and did, did all right. Um, what do you make of this team so far? Still nine wins? You know, is, is the SEC you know still on the table? Technically it is, but what do you make of this team so far? Yeah, I mean, you know, what I make of it is they blew a game against Florida um, where they just didn't play well. They didn't play well in the defensive front. They didn't play well in the secondary. They didn't tie it together. I don't know that it was the greatest defensive plan. Um, they they fell asleep for a quarter of football in the second quarter, and the game got away from them. Um, what's the ceiling for this team? Um, you know, it, it, I think it's going to hinge on their ability to run the football. Can they move the line of scrimmage against good defensive fronts? I, I think remains a question. Um, 
they did a really good job last night. South Carolina's linebackers did not get nearly as involved in the run game and, and everything as I thought they would be. I think that's a credit to the offensive line. Um, I think, you know, we'll see. I mean, Texas A&M's defensive line is much better than South Carolina. So it's a different challenge. But but I think their ceiling's still where I had it at. Um, I think the fascinating part about that question is the rest of the league, you know? I mean, you, you gave a game away against Florida because I, I still don't believe Florida's very good. Yeah. Now, how good is Kentucky going up there? Where are they going to be? I mean, Kentucky may be playing for the East at that point. We'll see what Kentucky does, you know, because Georgia has certainly looked vulnerable, you know, down double digits at home to South Carolina in the first half. Lucky to get out of Auburn alive. That's an Auburn team that couldn't score um, a week ago. They're in the game in the fourth quarter against Georgia mm-hmm. with a chance to win at home. Um, Alabama's okay. They beat up on Mississippi State. I don't, I don't still don't know how good they are offensively. I mean, what in the world is LSU doing? Somebody, somebody figure that one out for me. I mean, is AM the best team in the West? I, I think this is a really interesting kind of convoluted year in, in the league because I don't think there's dominant quarterback play, which opens you up in a situation where, um, you can. Quite frankly, you can knock off somebody, but you can get beat on, on any given day oh, yeah. as well because I don't think you have great quarterback play right now. So um, I, my ceiling's not changed, not so much because I think Tennessee is better. I, I don't think they're as good as I thought they would be. Or they haven't played as well as I thought they would play to this point. I don't think my ceiling's changed because I, I don't think the SEC has shown itself to be very good so far. But who's great in college football? Right, Michigan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess Michigan is is kind of your, where your number one team is right now. Texas, you know, Texas is good. It, it's just it's an interesting year across the board, but it's a really interesting year in the SEC. No doubt about it. We'll ask Austin Price here in just one second what Tennessee's ceiling is through five games for him. But first, I want to uh, give a quick shout out to a proud sponsor of our show, Volquest Podcast, Rocky Top Rewind. That is Game Time. You shouldn't have to worry about when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game time is fast, easy way to buy tickets to all your sports, music, comedy, theater events near you with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seats, their best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets for you. You can see your seats before you purchase them. They're going to show you those seats, and, and plus they've got your back with event cancellation, job loss protection, all that type, all that type of stuff as well. Plus, uh, they have a uh, system here to where if you find a cheaper price in the same section uh, that they have it sold here on, on on Game Time, they're going to credit you 110 percent of that ticket. Not not a bad deal whatsoever. You can find it over at Game Time. Game Time's got the deals, the tickets right up to the start of the event, even an hour after it started. It is the place to find last minute seats. Exclusive flash deals happening at game time right now. I encourage you to download the game time app, create an account, use the promo code VOLS, as V-O-L-S, for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code VOLS, V-O-L-S, for $20 off. Download game time today, last minute tickets, lowest price guarantee. We'll have Austin Price on when we return here on the Rocky Top Rewind as we continue to look back at Tennessee's 41-20 win over South Carolina. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane, Brent Hubs, and now we bring in Austin Price. Austin, I know you caught that back half of the uh, the question we were answering, but I, I want to pose that to you through five games. Kind of what's your ceiling for Tennessee football from what you've seen so far? Well, I mean, the ceiling for me is still 10 and 2, um, just because if you were to win two out of three in October, and then who knows what happens in November, right? Because, you know, that would be your 6 and 2 heading into the month of November, your 7 and 2 after UConn. Uh, then you go to Missouri. Um, you know, I think the I think the floor is still seven and five for me. I mean, they did the nice one yesterday. It, it's a huge jolt in the arm heading into two weeks for Texas A and M. But how does the month of October play out? You lose that game to Texas A and M, and then you go to on the road to Alabama, on the road to Kentucky. And I know you know Tennessee owns Kentucky, right? Much the way that kind of Florida owns Tennessee, but. You know, occasionally there is that hiccup, and, you know, Kentucky's, you know, to this point, shown that they can move the ball at the line of scrimmage. Now, who have they played, right? I mean, they've beat everybody in front of them. That's great. They beat a Florida team that Tennessee got beat by by 13 points um, and, and, and did it in an impressive fashion. But, you know, I, I'm with Hubs. Like, this, the Florida loss, I think, more than anything, could stick out worse and worse as the year goes along. And when Florida plays South Carolina, I think that could be for a bowl game. Loser doesn't go to a bowl, winner does. Um, you know, a lot of interesting matchups, but I think, you know, there's still the month of October to kind of filter through before you kind of really know what Tennessee truly is. And I think it all starts in two weeks against A&M. Thomas brings up a really good point. Uh, looking like the secondary played well yesterday. Again, it's all kind of tied in, but Brent, another, another game with 10 plus minutes tackles. I think they missed four tackles maybe in the first quarter, at least I felt like on the rewatch than they did in the second half. But Tennessee continues to miss some tackles. I thought it looked a little bit better though than the week before. Yeah, but here's where they missed tackles at. All right, so you got James James Pierce missed one, uh, McCullough missed two, and I think those were near the line of scrimmage. Joseph missed one, Roman Harrison missed one, Judy Lolly missed one, Elijah missed two. Not in the back end. Missed one. I mean, my, my point of those is those were close to the line of scrimmage. You, you didn't have um, you didn't have that open field miss. That, that turned into a, a huge play, right? I mean, you, you, the, the backside screen that they got for 40 yards was a really good call. It was okay? a great call. Sometimes you get caught, right? Yeah. Sometimes you just – they get you. Just like Joe got got on the first interception. It happens sometimes. Um, now, the long touchdown run, that's a defense not ready to play to start the second half. And that that that, that one is, is, is really disappointing. Um, because you're just not ready to go right there. You hit a bad run fit, and um, you just you didn't execute a call the right way on, on that one. But and they've got to eliminate those. I thought the tackling didn't look as bad, Austin, in this game because I thought Tennessee as a defense rallied to the ball better in this game than, than we've seen the last couple of games in, in terms of. And, you know, if you missed the tackle, there was somebody there to to finish it off for yeah. you. So the the missed tackle didn't feel as bad as some of the other missed tackles have felt like the last couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, that's right. Again, I thought Tennessee on the cross the board played pretty well uh, as far as complimentary football. Um, you know, when there was a miss, somebody was there to clean it up. When the offense messed up, the defense cleaned up, or vice versa. Um, you know, I, I thought that the, they played really good team team football. And, uh, you know, it all starts defensively where they 
you know, have struggled to get off the field. They were able to get off the field yesterday. Um, you know, what was there two fourth downs, I believe, where, where South Carolina failed. Um, you know, again, like if Tennessee's defensive line and they'll face far greater offensive lines, but if if they can just be as disruptive, and I'm not talking about getting five and six sacks, I'm just talking about being disruptive, altering the way the play happens um, going forward. I think it makes everybody on the back end that much better. And then, you know, as these young linebackers continue to progress, you have to you have to really wonder like, you know, what's the what what's the ceiling for the defense? Because, you know, they were much maligned after that Florida game. I thought it was a bad uh, game plan, especially in the first half. They they played some better in the second. Um, but, you know, what do they look like as the season goes along? Two weeks to prepare for an A&M team that again with Max Johnson, he's good, not great. Throw that deep ball well, you know, manages it. But I'm not saying I'm not thinking he's a super playmaker. Although he he is a better athlete than you get than, than Connor Wagman when it comes to ability to make a play on the run. And Eric, hey, give, give credit to Brian Jean Marie. Okay, he just he's yeah. just making depth happen. I mean, he he's in the kitchen throwing in the ingredients to create linebacker depth. You look up in that game, you know, Tennessee's backed up. Tennessee's got a short field they're working with and. He's putting Jeremiah T. Lander out there, and, and he's putting Arian Carter out there. He is not afraid, Eric, to play those young guys. Those young guys are rewarding him. They're getting better each game, and you're going to see them play more and more. That doesn't mean one of the starters is going to lose his job, but they're going to rotate at a heavier clip where those guys are going to get more and more snaps, and they're going to have a real nice – they're going to have created some really nice depth there despite the injury to Keenan Peely. Yeah, I guess I didn't really notice it in real time during the game, but like during my rewatch, big critical fourth and one, fourth and two, whatever it was in the first half. And I look down there and there's Jeremiah T. Lander and Aaron Carter. I'm like, wow, okay, that's that's a good experience. And that's that, that's a that's a big moment in the yeah. football game. Fearless. Uh, T- I, mean, I mean, Brian Jean Marie's been fearless at that. Yeah. T. Lander played 12 snaps. Carter played 12 snaps. You still had Herring that played. I believe 30-plus. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're kind of force-feeding them, and that's good. It's only going to help them in the long run. It's going to help Tennessee as the year goes on. Uh, we kind of talked about quarterbacks a moment ago, but it's 8.39. We're 39 minutes into this show, and we haven't really assessed Joe Milton's play. A um, couple turnovers yesterday. We, we broke some of those down on the uh, the, the mini-pod. He, he looked like he was thinking you were in cover two. He didn't see that safety right there in the middle of the field, and he got got there on that interception. The other interception, AP, uh, if you threw it a little bit more inside, giving Jacob Warren a chance to catch it, I think it would have been a better, but he's trying to force that in there. But I- anyway, you spend it uncharacteristic, two interceptions, two turnovers for Joe Milton, the guy that protects the football pretty well. Yeah. Again, I think a lot of that was, a lot of it was made of that coming into the season, but he had really a small sample size for his career as far as total number of snaps. Now the the first interception, that was just, that was just bad, especially when squirrel white was literally turn to the right, wide open for the first time. Wide open. Um, now, the second one, I mean, it's more of a 50-50 ball. Um, I, that one, I, that one doesn't bother me. That one ends up, you know, you know, causing a punt, you know, uh, or, or acts like a punt, which Tennessee played really well down along the goal line. Um, I thought Jordan Thomas was actually going to get a safety there um, when they brought him on that corner blitz um, from the nickel spot. But you know, the, Joe, he kind of is who he is right now, right? I mean, I'm not saying he can't have that 350-yard day and put it all together one time. But right now you're battling the fact that there's no Rue McCoy. Uh, there's no Dante Thornton. It's a, it's a thin group of wide receivers. 
and the, the passing game doesn't have a ton of confidence. So how much confidence can it get? Can Dante Thornton be back for Texas A&M in two weeks? Um, how much can you bring people along? I think all those things um, will play into how Joe plays against A&M, how he plays against Alabama, how he plays against Kentucky in the month of October. Because right now I would say it's just kind of, you know, pass just enough to keep the defense honest and take a deep shot or two just to keep the secondary honest, but do a lot of the short stuff and run the football. Yeah, I'll say this, and 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 I will move on from 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 Joe. But Eric, I thought in the rewatch, I thought Jordan Rogers had a great point in talking about Joe Milton's feet and yeah. and what he needed to do, and and kind of how he's a little bit unusual in that the more stable, the more quiet, I think is how Jordan described it. His feet is the better he throws. You look at the slant balls he threw last night; they were catch and go balls. I mean, you catch it stand there and throw it. He didn't take overstep strides. He didn't bounce his feet around. Um, When he can do those types of things, when his feet are not getting him in trouble, then I think he's pretty accurate with the football. Um, But, but he's got, I mean, look in, in a, in a critical game, he's going to have to make a play or two, you know, maybe that's with his feet that they, I knew they weren't going to run him last night. You knew they weren't going to run him with the knee. Didn't have to, there's going to be a point in time where he's going to have to lead the drive to win a football game or he's going to have to make a play to ice a football game. And we'll see right now. He's not getting mm-hmm. Tennessee beat. He's playing solid. He's not playing great. He's not playing poor. He's just playing pretty solid football right now and has Tennessee, you know, where they are in an open date getting ready for Texas A&M. He's the best-looking game-managing quarterback <laughs> off the bus in the college football. I, I was going to say that's a, I mean, if you accept him for who he is, you kind of see the game a little bit different right now. He is a game manager. Now he's got the, he's got more potential than arguably anybody in the country, but right now he's a game manager and there will be opportunities to hit a long ball, you know, or two or three every single game. Um, there's going to be a lot of lateral passing. There's going to be a lot of uh, stuff, but you know, when the tempo's there, he's again, like what you said, he's not, he's not beating you right now. Overall, he's not making the wrong decisions. And if you have that along with a strong run game, along with a defense that is active and making third down stops and forcing turnovers, you know that you're going to win a lot of games doing that. But there will come a time where and I, I saw in the first half, I'm just like, run, run, go get the first down. And he he finally you know got out there and and got a first down. But he he had 20 or 30 yards in front of him. He was still looking to throw the football. It's like just go be a player. Um, and, and he's going to have to do some of that as as, as the year goes on. Uh, a lot of recruiting questions, so we'll go ahead and, and jump in with Matt Ray as he joins the program. Uh, Matt, AP, big-time recruiting weekend for Tennessee overall. Before we get into specifics, Matt, kind of how would you assess how Tennessee did in terms of uh, recruiting? A couple of official visitors and a lot of uh, big-time unofficial visitors and some 25s as well. Yeah, it was a good weekend for Tennessee. I mean, you know, you get Jordan Seaton in, and, you know, that's kind of the news that, you know, rock Twitter – midweek and you get him here and you capitalize on it. it seemed like you really put a good foot forward with him right Austin I mean I think when you when you look at what you were able to do with Jordan Seaton you're probably going to lock him in for an official visit later in the process he really enjoyed being around Josh Heupel Glenn Ellerby spent a lot of time with Boo Carter um, and, and you know I think this is maybe a little overlooked this weekend but all of these commits wanted to be here this weekend. It was important for them to get out to a game, and a night at Neyland was important for them. So I think that was a you know maybe an overlooked piece throughout the weekend as they all had a really good time together. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I thought having all of those players here to be around a guy like Jordan Seaton, to be around a Cam Michael, um, that's big. Obviously, Merklinger, you know, it, it knows Cam Michael really well. You know, Boo Carter's been working Cam Michael for a while. They saw each other at Colorado. Same thing with, with Jordan Seaton. And then you have Mike Matthews there, uh, Edwin Spillman. Um, I, I think it's important. And I think it was important to have Bennett Warren there, to have another offensive lineman. And, and honestly, if I'm Tennessee, I'm thinking, man, that's that's great that Bennett's been so active in trying to recruit Jordan Seaton to Tennessee. Because you never know how another O-lineman is going to take another O-lineman. Like, you know, does he see it as competition or does he see it as, hey, it's my guy on the other side, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I think that all that plays plays in. Uh, Jordan Seaton looks like an official visit for the Georgia game um, in, in November. And, um, you know, again, Tennessee put their best foot forward. I think that they have rocketed up the, the charts for Jordan Seaton. I would put them right there with Alabama at the top for the big five-star offensive lineman from IMG. All right, so that's one of the big three that Derek is is asking about right now. But a couple other OVs, Cam Michael, you had, you had Hill in here as well. How did Tennessee do in the, in the OV category, Matt? Um, well, you know, I talked to Cam Michael this morning, and Tennessee's been at or near the top of that, and we've said that for a little while, and it still feels like that's exactly where it's at. He, he's going to take a trip to Texas A&M next weekend, and to me – that's the one you have to survive. You know, you're looking at a guy that he has a lot of schools after him, pulling him in a lot of different directions, trying to get him to slow this thing down. But Tennessee's been a constant for him. And this this visit was important. He, he got all of the questions answered that he wanted to get answered, he, he including the academic side. He had a chance to meet John Tickle, ask and get questions answered about the engineering program, which is important to him. Um, you know, says he's going to make it to Kentucky at the end of the month. We'll see if that happens. I mean, for me, it, I wouldn't rule it out. He's been very diligent in this process. Georgia's tried to get him to push the timeline at certain points. Other schools have tried to, you know, get him to change the direction and the way that he thinks. But but Cam just moves at his own pace. So, you know, I, I do – you know, I wouldn't rule out that Kentucky visit, but we'll see if it happens. It. I'm just kind of curious if he sees everything that he needs to before then. But regardless, I think he's got his mind made up that he wants to be committed somewhere by the end of the first week of November. And, you know, coming out of this visit, I like where Tennessee sits. But you, know, you have to survive Texas A&M, and, and they're, going, they're going in on Cam pretty hard. What do you think about where they are with Daniel Hill? What, what, was, the, what was the story on, on that visit? That one – Seem much more, I guess, like – feels like that one's a long shot, even compared to – you know, I mean, Seton felt better because it was an unofficial match. You had a chance to get him back for an official. This was your one shot at Daniel Hill. How much room could the ground could they realistically make up there? Yeah, you know, it's been a struggle dating back to January to get Daniel Hill to campus, right? I mean, coming in in January didn't happen. Coming in in March didn't happen. Uh, finally get him out here in May for 865 Live – um, and then you just now get him back. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of mutual respect there between Daniel Hill and Jerry Mack, and that's one of the reasons that he slowed the process down a little bit. But still feels like Alabama's that team that that's setting the bar right now. It feels like South Carolina's falling off some. Um, but, you know, gets here closer to midday on Saturday, um, checks out midday today. Uh, you know, there's just – it's hard to make up a lot of ground 
when he hasn't been here as much. Alabama's closer to home. He's been there numerous times. I mean, it, it still continues to feel like a long shot right now. Yeah, I mean, to, to me it does too, but, but you know, we'll see what happens. All kinds of crazy things happen. And there's a yep. lot of comments over in the, in the sidebar about, you know, kudos to, to Boo Carter for, you know, being a peer recruiter and all those things. How big was it to just get Boo Carter himself back on campus? He had the Colorado visits, kind of stirred all those things up and got that going. How big was it, not for him to help necessarily help recruit, which he obviously is doing, but just to have him back around a bunch of other committed players, how important do you think that was for Tennessee and Boo Carter, specifically for him? Yeah, I think it's big for Boo Carter. I mean, I think he's a guy that he enjoys where he's at. He enjoys the moment. He tries to live in that. Um, but, you know, for for him, I think to be back inside of Neyland Stadium and experience another atmosphere like that would probably solidify some things again for him. Uh, look back to last October. He was ready to commit to Tennessee after they defeated Alabama. Everybody rushed the field, a great atmosphere, you know, that night. For me, I think this is a refresher for Boo Carter of why at that time he wanted to commit. Now, obviously, it took a little it took a little while to get to that point, but he had strong feelings that night. And and for me, this re- kind of refreshes and resets things for him. Um, and, and you can see he's working really, really hard. You know, talked to Mike Matthews after the game last night, and one of the things Mike Matthews told me was, I treated guys tonight as I peer recruited them the same way that Boo treated me. Everybody that you kind of talk to talked about Boo. Um, he, he's that guy in this class. You know, I, I don't really know how to take the Colorado visit at this point. Um, you know, they, they, they can still get him back for an official visit too. And, you know, they're, they're going to push there I and mean, we'll see what happens. But the more you can get a guy like Boo Carter to campus, the better. It's kind of like if you're that guy in the class, then why go to Colorado? But the answer is you're young, you're never going to get to do this again. Oh, maybe with the transfer portal. <laughs> um, and, and, of course, if you're Colorado, you were saying, hey, come here and you can play wide receiver. You can play defensive back. You can return kicks. Um, I get it. But if you're that guy in the class, it's kind of like, well, why, why even entertain that? Let's shift gears here away from Boo Carter, who was here this weekend. Uh, Ron Wingo, big-time target. Uh, any plans to get back to Tennessee in, in terms of seeing a game day visit or an official visit? Yeah, you know, Ron Wingo hasn't ruled out taking his official visit to Tennessee later in the cycle. If he does, it'll most likely be for the Georgia games, what he's told me at this point. But it continues to feel like that one trends away from Tennessee. Missouri and Texas have, have done a really good job there. Colorado's working really hard to get Ryan Wingo on campus, but he canceled an official visit there this weekend. So we'll see what Ryan Wingo does. He he traveled a ton last fall. He hasn't been quite as active this fall. and. He's seen Texas, he's seen Missouri, and it feels like he's really high on both of those programs and trying to, to you know, narrow his focus and get to a decision. Um, you know, if Tennessee gets him back to campus, anything can happen, I guess. But for me right now, it just feels like that one continues to trend toward one of those programs in the Midwest. You know, Matt, I know no one's making a decision based off a game result or anything, but you had the first of three big recruiting weekends here. The, uh, of course, the South Carolina game, the A&M game, and the Georgia game coming up later in the season. Um, the environment, the jerseys, uh, the atmosphere. Um, kind of, kind of. How much does that move the needle? I mean, the environment was great in Knoxville on Saturday night. And you had some big time prospects here to see that, just like last year with the Florida game, just like last year with the Alabama game. How much does that move the needle for these guys? Man, it helps. I mean. <laughs> 
I talked to Jordan Seaton on Wednesday, and he was all about, you know, I'm going to be focused on the offensive line. I've heard about the environment. You know, it'll be cool to see it, but I'm really interested in the offensive line. Don't get me wrong. Jordan Seaton looked very strong at the offensive line, but on Saturday night, he came out talking about the environment. Loudest he had seen, probably the best he had been to. It, I mean, it helps. I mean, that's pretty much all you can say about it. Sorry, guys. I um, Where you been, man? I had a phone call that was much more important than talking to you guys <laughs> from campus. And so I had to hop off. And since Matt was here to answer all your recruiting questions, I knew I wouldn't really be missed anyway. I'm just trying to figure. I'm I'm just trying to figure out what I've got to do to get you on a podcast with me. I can't get you on Trail Tidbits. You hop off here. I'm like, man, well, what's going wrong here? Well, again, when, 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 when he's looking for a bigger NIL deal, Matt. All right, I know, I know. When you get the right, when you get the right phone call, you just and especially again, like what were what, there was nothing I was going to add that you couldn't say. So it was like it's easier, and I knew if I missed the phone call, it was going to be harder to get back at nine o'clock. So. You know, Matt, you got the business decision. <laughs> you got the uh, you got the bye week coming up. So for the team, you know, continue to practice, refresh, get healthy, all that type of stuff. But for recruiting, you know, a chance to, to get out on the road and go see some guys. How big are the, this next you know week, uh, this weekend coming up for the for the Tennessee coaching staff in terms of going out and seeing some talent? Yeah, big. I mean, when you look at it overall, you five four or five, six weeks into the season, depending on where you're at. So you've had a chance to evaluate tape, look at guys. Now you can go see guys that you want. They're playing meaningful football. You can get out, see commits, and see recruits that you're trying to work on. It's just a big time. That bye week week is refreshing in a lot of ways. But, you know, for these coaches, they're probably going to scour the road pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, I would think this is the weekend you're going to go see those JUCO kids, you know, because this is – they play on a Saturday. This is an opportunity for you to go see them play, which leads me to this question, Matt and Austin. Austin, I'll, I'll include you in this one if you want to participate, if, if you don't have better things to do in the last six minutes of this, of this show tonight. Um, the, the balance between a JUCO kid and a transfer, where do you think that is in recruiting right now? And what do you think factors into those decisions to take a junior college player or to play in the portal for that spot and, and a transfer. What's that balance like right now in recruiting? Well, I think part of the and, – and I don't know the exact answer, um, and I'm not sure anybody really does, but for me, um, I think it's a little easier to go the JUCO ranks in terms of NIL. Like when you go to the transfer portal, they command so much in NIL that I think that, that that's, a, that's something you have to waiver. Then it goes back to – you know what's available in the JUCO ranks because they're available right now. You don't know what might or might not be available in the transfer portal. Maybe there's seven defensive linemen and you need several that come about. Maybe there's two, and all of a sudden you're battling every team in the country for those two, whereas the JUCO kids, you know what's available, as we said here, the 1st of October. So that's kind of my thought process on it. Well, I mean, I think when you look at it and you look back over these last two cycles, there's been – one Jared Verse and one Bear Alexander. Bear Alexander somewhat knew where he was going. Jared Verse, it was everybody, like you said, Austin, you're battling everybody for him. You know, when, when he blew up, you were battling everybody for him. It's, it's just tougher. I think Tennessee trusts their evaluations at this point with the JUCO guys. Obviously, it'll be big to go out and see them. 
Um, you hope to get them here for an official visit at some point. It seems like those are, you know, starting to get a little bit more set in stone. But I think it's just a fine balance in that. It's, it's what do you trust and, you know, can you get them here? Because, I mean, I think I think some of these JUCO guys are going to be a battle too. I mean, Brian Taylor's got big-time offers. Jamar um, Kamari Copeland's got big-time offers. Jamal Wallace has started to hear from more SEC teams since Tennessee offered him. So, you know, I think I think all three of those guys are going to have intriguing processes to watch heading toward the finish line. Well, I mean, you know, you had the, the comment there about Alex Short about Larry Johnson, and, and I think that's valid. I mean, I don't know if there's – you can sit there and say, as you know, Larry's eight months into his Tennessee career that, you know, Larry's going to be a real factor or not on the offensive line. Now He was always developmental, though, he right? Because he came in pretty heavy. Correct. But then you also got a guy like Byron Young who goes, you know, you know – from Georgia military, you know, who ends up, you know, he's having a really nice, you know, rookie campaign with the Rams and was really good here. So I, I think anytime you go prep school, military academies, you know, JUCOs, Hubbard, there's always a risk and there's a risk period. Right. But like, to me, the risk is greater when you go that route, unless you're getting a Cam Newton, Alvin Kamara type that had to go JUCO, but that no one does that anymore because Vacuum transfer power five to power five. Yeah, and and listen, I, I've covered I've covered a lot more recruiting pre pre transfer portal than I have post transfer portal, and I will say this in the history: junior college offensive linemen typically aren't hits, okay, because it's a developmental position. Um, not many of those guys pan out very often to be really good players. Um, defensive linemen are different. Um, it's a different position. It's an easier transition. There's a lot of positions where guys have come in from the junior college ranks have been successful. I would say of all those, offensive line is probably the least percent hit percentage compared to other positions out there. Um, and, and that's just the way it's always been, portal or non-portal. Um, but, a, again, I think it's interesting because, Austin, you bring up a good point. You know what's available. The question is, is there going to be something better available that you can get who's proven at the level that you're looking for in college football and not. It's an interesting balancing act is my point. I think it's kind of fascinating to watch this fall. Yeah, I think that the sure thing, the, the sure thing is to go Juco, right? Because that you know you will get a body you like. But the, 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 ce- the higher ceiling is to wait, in my opinion. The higher ceiling is to wait on – you know, the portal kids to see what's available, see what's not, you know, and maybe you end up going to the JUCO ranks after the December signing period, if there's anything available then. Like, I, I think there's some, you know, it, again, it, it, you're right. The best word is fascinating because I don't know if there's a right or wrong, but at the same time, it's something you have to monitor. Couple of these rapid fires. We uh, head out the door. Why did Tennessee drop a spot in the AP poll? No clue. Went up a spot in the uh, coaches' poll, but dropped a spot in the AP poll. John Campbell. Does he have a year left? He does, but the plan as of now is to go to the NFL. Uh, no timeline for Keenan Peely, right? Still, still November, late season. Correct, yeah, Brent. I mean, he, well, he tore his tryout September, and yeah, I mean, if he's coming back, it's going to be Georgia game or later. Yeah. Okay, and then. I do want to end on this one, and I don't. I don't want to make a big fuss about it, but uh, but, you're but, gonna I, make- but I do want to ask you guys your comments on this. I mean, he was frustrated after the game. It is what it is. He just lost. What do you think about Spencer Rattler saying this was Tennessee Super Bowl, Brent? 
Oh, I thought it was, you know, it was a pointless comment. I mean, you know, I, I don't look, they, they were frustrated at the end of the night. Um, much the same way Tennessee was frustrated when they walked off the field over there last year. Yep. Uh, Tennessee jawed with them pretty good at the end of the game, leaving. I mean, John Campbell was in the middle of the South Carolina team as the clock hit zero. You had the whole – you had stuffed animal gate, you know, where <laughs> – I don't know if you're – I don't know what you're playing keep away or – I mean, it was like a preschool game, like throw it back and forth to your buddy to keep it away from Spragan. So, look, everybody was frustrated. It was a great environment. I think Spencer Rattler was trying to say it was a great environment, but then couldn't just leave it at that and had to go into, you know, him thinking that, that this was the Super Bowl. I got news for him. This was a revenge game, but, but South Carolina's visit to Neyland Stadium was not the Super Bowl for Vol fans. Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. Five games right there that mean more than before you even started thinking about South Carolina, Austin. Uh, I would put South Carolina over Vanderbilt. Agreed. But I mean, like, you got, I mean, our fathers and grandfathers, I mean, yeah, you know, Vanderbilt's a big deal. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, they've won one time. Santa Claus came in from Indiana and, and beat Tennessee. What what was the quarterback's name? It busted in the NFL. Who's from Santa Claus, Indiana? I don't remember the quarterback that, that beat Tennessee that year. Feller? Yeah, Jake Feller? was yeah. who came in and beat that. I mean, Vanderbilt's, trust me, Tennessee fans want to beat South Carolina. They're, they're more concerned about putting a whipping on South Carolina than they are the assumed win over Vanderbilt at this point. But to your point, Kentucky, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, certainly more significant than, than South Carolina is. Out the door, we do appreciate the super chats. Let's answer this one. Why no slant passes this year? The one to keep was beautiful. Milton can hit those. Brent, you made a point to say uh, Joe Milton looked really good throwing the slants last night, that better than he has all year long. They've been throwing them. He just yeah, he looked really good doing it last night. Yeah, he's missed two for touchdowns um, yeah. earlier in the year. So they've thrown them. Um, yeah, there was some stuff South Carolina was running and that that opened up in the middle for Tennessee because South Carolina was trying to stop the run. And, and as a result, they were there. And, and Joe Milton threw that ball well last night. That was the best ball he threw. Best best pattern, I guess. Best route he threw last night was a slant. You, you know what I think about when I see Matt. I'm thinking pants here at ribeye because I just saw that screen name pop up on there on the super chat. I think about the, the the Smoky Mountain Gun Show at Chilhowie Park. It's RK Gun Show presentation. I mean, look at him; he's not ready to flex. I mean, look at him. Like, it's. I mean, I had board. to go. I had to go change shirts before I came on here because you were wearing the dang Ball Quest T-shirt, and everywhere I go, I'm matching you nowadays. So I can't. I can't even lounge around anymore. The Copper Basin Gun Show. That's it, man. <laughs> Sell the tickets. <laughs> All right, everybody. We appreciate you being here. Staying with us here to the very end uh, on the Rocky Top Rewind, presented as always by Spivey King and Spivey LLP. Uh, give them a, you got a problem, let them find a solution for you, TN Trial Lawyers. Give them a call today for a free consultation. That's Spivey King and Spivey LLP, 423-245-4185. It is the bye week. But there's no bye week at VolQuest.com. Tons of recruiting coverage, tons of stuff throughout the week on where Tennessee is at this point in the season. We'll go ahead and look ahead at AM. We'll have podcasts, stock reports, all that and more. That is at VolQuest.com. For Matt Ray, Austin Price, Brent Hubbs, I am Mary Kane. Thank you as always for joining us here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.